This episode is brought to you by Catan. This summer looks a bit different than most summers. We're staying at home for the most part, and we're finding ourselves looking for new activities to enjoy at home. Catan is a board game for three to four players, ages 10 and up, although younger kids can play with adult guidance. It is a great way to keep families engaged in off screens, even if it's just for a little while. And those opportunities are hard to come by. And it's really easy to pick up. Get Catan at CatanShop.com slash mom. Listeners of our podcast get 10% off the original base game Catan by using the promo code mom at checkout. Offer not good on other Catan titles or merchandise. Xfinity XFi is more than just fast. It's internet that gives you peace of mind security. Because if it's connected, it's protected. Yeah, even your robot vacuum. Can your internet do that? Learn more at Xfinity.com slash XFi. Brought to you by the reinvented 2012 Camry. It's ready. Are you? Welcome to Stuff Mom Never Told You from HowStuffWorks.com. Welcome to the podcast. I'm Kristen. I'm Molly. Molly, uh, I would get down on one knee if I if the mic wasn't sitting up on a table. So just imagine me on one knee right now. Um, and I just I want to know if you'll if you'll be mine forever. Will you marry me, Molly? Kristen, I even though I knew what we were podcasting on today, I did not expect this. Surprise engagement, guys. I wanted to do it in front of all our listeners. I guess some ladies would consider this the ultimate in romantic gestures that you're doing it in front right, of. Right, I'm just I'm just popping the question. Yeah, I'm doing it virtually in front of We're in our intimate little studio. People. Yeah. It's got got, you know, mood lighting, I guess. Is it working? It's for got you? soundproofing. Yeah. I mean I've got all my notes in front of me and still I just did not expect this. Yeah. I'm, I'm going off script. Please. I guess I know how those people who see their names, you know, pop up on those those big TVs at sports games feel. Feels pretty good, doesn't it's it? It's a little overwhelming. But, you know, it might be a little controversial for me to be doing this because I'm a woman proposing. Well, <laughs> to you. It's a double whammy of contro- controversy, <laughs> I think. But, yeah, that's going to be our topic today. And, and I'm kind of baffled that I did not see this coming, knowing that we were going to talk about why men propose, and whether sometimes women should flip the tables and uh, ask the question themselves. Well, maybe before we go any further, I should go ahead and state so that it's clear that, you know, that was that was an example. Molly, I'm sorry. I rescind my proposal to you. Um, Kristen, all our fans know that you don't believe in marriage. Oh, man, don't bring that up again, that's Molly. What you get Not for, true. That's what you get for putting me on the spot. I'm um, going to bring it up again. One yeah, time no, Kristen said that, and it's haunted her ever since. It has haunted me ever since. But I, I don't want um, this uh, my my possibly marrying you to, to haunt me. No, no offense, Molly. But uh, but that was Sorry. a joke, people. Um, it was just an example of uh, how well, to make someone feel uncomfortable. It's just a joke, like, like you just didn't even... Didn't even cross your mind, Molly. We can talk about this after. The <laughs> I think we need to. You've opened up a whole can of worms. I'm kind of shocked how quickly you rescinded this romantic. Well, invitation. you know. Well, if we if we if it were back in the 1930s, if I had done that to you and rescinded my heartfelt proposal, you would be in line for a heart bomb suit. 
That's true. Mm-hmm. I would I would take you for everything you were worth because of the egregious damage you've done to me in front of all these witnesses, no less. Yeah, actually, in um, it was fun to find out from the Yale Law Journal that in early American law, women could recover damages when men promised to marry and then took their proposal back because um, at that time, obviously, men were f- more financially stable than women, and the action was known, the legal action was known as a breach of promise. But then there came this wave of all of these um, related suits of women charging men with rescinding their engagements, and it became nicknamed heart bomb suits. Just a little fun fact. But, you know, the, the reason we wanted to research this, you know, this week, Kristen, was we wanted to know why is it the guys who have the obligation to get down on bended knee? Yeah, we're knee deep in wedding season, people. All right. It's everywhere. And people have just been talking about marriage a lot in popular media. People are questioning the entire institution. And so since Molly and I have already talked about engagement rings in the episode, our diamonds really a girl's best friend, and we've talked about Ms. versus Miss, and why do brides wear white? We thought, well, what about this question of why men are proposing? Where did that come from? Because there's a trend lately of, you know, men possibly wearing engagement rings and even women turning the tables and proposing to men. But before we get there, we need to go back through history, and we're not going to go back to a specific point, because as far as we can tell... Men have always proposed just because, you know, back in the olden days, women, it was more of a negotiation and women were sort of the thing you could trade one family to another. And this concept of romantic marriages, as we've discussed, is fairly new. Yes. A lot of this information comes from Marriage, a History, which is a fantastic book by Stephanie Koontz. I highly recommend it if you need something for your summer reading. Um, and, and I'm, and I've been reading it actually over the past few weeks. And I was flipping through to try to find something specifically on proposals. And while the book does not discuss the whole why does a man get on one knee tradition, it's very clear cut that, like you said, Molly, the reason why men propose is because they always have. Like way back in the day, thousands of years ago, when marriage alliances first started, Women were the property that were traded in order to either get more land or to secure a family's position in place to offer more protection. Um, and then with industrialization and around uh, the time of the Enlightenment, we have the rise of, quote unquote, love marriages where um, men and women are able to earn wages on their own outside their families. And so they have a little bit more autonomy to pick their mates. But still, it was the men who were doing the choosing. And though men did the choosing, uh, this grand, fancy, you know, romantic proposal that is just becomes the anecdote of the couple, it doesn't seem to have, you know, started around the same time as love marriages, even though men were doing the choosing either for, you know, financial reasons or for love reasons as time evolves. They might have just wrote a letter, you mm-hmm. know, and said, hey, let's let's do this thing. Or they might have asked her very simply, you know, with the parents present. It wasn't. This uh, idea of a big, you know, grand gesture, the Internet traces it to knights who bowed down before their ladies. But it's not like guys, you know, immediately got this thought like, hey, let's bend down like knights and make a big speech about how much we want to spend the rest of our lives together. Sounds like we've got pop culture to blame for that. I think it is pop culture. And according to the book Cinderella Dreams by Celie 
Otnaves and Elizabeth H. Pleck. Uh, the tradition of a man getting down on bended knee seems to be merely a dramatic flourish that came from the silent film era. Basically, like once we started watching movies and then proliferated on TVs, um, it just kind of became the norm because that's what you see. You see, you know, Lawrence Olivier or whoever, you know, a dashing Clark man, Clark Gable. Although I don't imagine Clark Gable just being a being too romantic, you know, he was a little more, a little more of a jerk. In the movie Gonthawain, he gets down on one knee Does in he? jest and proposes ah. to Scarlett O'Hara. Yes. But even before we have Clark Gable proposing to Vivian Lee on screen, uh, the whole courtship process is led by the guy, which really is not, you know, a revolutionary concept. I'm sure most people realize that. But uh, Coons points out that by the end of the 19th century, the middle class had developed an elaborate courtship ritual whereby a young man would be invited to call at a woman's home. And then they would, the young man and the woman would basically hang out in the parlor or on the front porch and they would be closely supervised by the girl's family. And the word date wasn't used in its modern slang sense until the late 1890s. And even then it was only used in as working class slang. It was kind of looked down upon. But then by 1914, we have the ladies home journal starting to use the word as this new fangled type of, you know, courting that, that young men and women were doing that was a lot more liberated than just going and, you know, a guy going and sitting on a front porch with a girl for a while. And then of course, as we've talked about in, our dating episode in the 1920s with the rise of the automobile. Guys and girls start leaving together to go on dates outside of the home. And where are they going a lot of times, Molly? They're going to the movies where they're going to go see these, you know, romantic relationships portrayed on screen, which I, I would think, you know, might fuel this whole, you know, men proposing to women, men being the gallant chivalrous knights in the situation. Right. Because most, most movies of that era usually end with a good, a good engagement and wedding. Mm-hmm. Happily so, ever after. So we see that on the silver screen. But, you know, in the past century, we've had so much happen in terms of feminism, women, women's rights. And we're told now that, you know, women can women can do anything. And the question has come, can they turn the tables and be the one that proposes to the man? And, you know, it's actually not a new question because I was looking through the New York Times archives and I found this thing from uh, 1904 uh, written by this woman who's like, you know, Spinsters might just get too sad waiting for uh, their man to propose. So on leap year, why don't you uh, take the reins and propose yourself? And then it was, I guess they're tongue in cheek. It's kind of hard to tell from 1904. But there's some uh, some advice for women who want to prop the question, such as um, don't do it when he's hungry. Uh, don't do it when he's in a bad mood. Uh, make the make it sound like a really good financial arrangement because now he won't have to pay for a maid. Um, so definitely different kinds of advice than a, than a fella gets before he pops the big question. But, well, can I, can I read a little snippet of this, of this column just to give listeners an exact idea of, I would, of I would love how this goes? Okay. Dorothy Dix says in the New York Times, the past is no criterion. Women do many things now that they didn't do 40 or even four years ago. It's not at all impossible that many a discouraged spinster, hey, there's that word again, worn out with waiting for her steady bow to speak, and many a lovelorn maiden who has heretofore let, let concealment prey upon her own damask cheek will take matters into her own hands and propose matrimony 
to the man she loves in this year of grace, 1904. Because it was a leap year, so you it could do that. It was a leap that. year, right? Because I actually did not realize this, Molly. I don't know how I missed the boat on this one, but I'd never heard the whole leap year thing. But apparently, thanks to St. Bernadine and St. Patrick way Bridget. back in the day, St. Bridget, <laughs> I obviously don't know about it, St. Bridget and St. Patrick back in the day in Ireland. Uh, Are you going to do an Irish accent for this I'm, re- I'm resisting. Um, People said they love the accents. Kristen, do it. I don't want it to be, I don't want to go over the You top. can't do an Irish accent, can you? Now you're trying to reverse psychology, me, Molly. It's not going to work. So according to Snopes.com, one day St. Bridget was hanging out with St. Patrick and, and she was all like, Oh, St. Patrick, I hate that we can't propose to the men we love. There you go, Molly. That was for you. And St. Patrick was like, I'll tell you what. How about every seven years, uh, you guys can do it. And Bridget talked him down to four years. Hence, every February 29th that rolls around, a.k.a. every leap year, women can propose to men. It's like Sadie Hawkins Day, you know, when you can you can invite a guy out. Yeah, and according to Snopes, there were there could have been various penalties at the time imposed. If the guy said no, uh, he had to give her like 100 pounds, he had to buy her silk dress. Um, Snopes thinks it's more likely just that because leap year was such a weird day to have around every February 29th that all these weird things became associated with it. So they're, they're not sure how much truth's in the matter, but that didn't stop them from making that Amy Adams movie about, about that very, very day. But according to an, a column by Hannah Seligson in the Wall Street Journal, even though it's still not that common for women to propose to men. Women are still playing a much bigger role in the whole engagement process or the proposal process, I should say. Right. She cites uh, a sociology professor from the University of Central Oklahoma named Amanda Miller, who conducted a study about how proposals are made. And she studied in particular cohabitating couples. And uh, she found that couples pretty much work as a team to set the date and that in some cases a woman will even script the proposal. It's not like she proposes per se, but there's been enough dialogue between the two that she knows when it's coming and uh, she might have picked out the ring and that it's it's less of a, a crazy pop the question moment like it was for me at the beginning of this podcast. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because a lot of times, unlike, you know, when I spring the question on Molly, couples will have talked about you know, marriage beforehand, and they might be like, well, I, let's not, I don't want to be married until after I get out of law school, you're in med school, or like, you know, like, you've got, you've got all this podcasting you're working on, let's get through podcast sweeps season, I wish that existed, um, so, so yeah, it's more of a, it's more of a collaboration, which is reflective of today's relationship in general, you know? Yeah, I mean, I think it makes sense. I think that we always advocate open communication about things like finances and a status for relationship, Kristen. So it's not surprising to me that women play such a role, but what's amazing is then you'll search the Internet just for the question, uh, should women propose? And the answer from all the men who have written these online columns about it is no. Is no. No way. I mean, you can, it's almost like you can kind of script the proposal to a point and then men want that ultimate responsibility to be like, this is my job. Yeah. I mean, men out there, please correct me if I'm wrong, but it seems like from what we've read, guys are cool with the idea of knowing that their girlfriend wants to become a fiance. 
that if he pops the question, buys the ring, he's not going to have to take like a walk of shame back to Tiffany's or wherever. Uh, but according to, we found a, um, a column on thegloss.com, uh, which is a fun women's website. And they've got a, they've got a column on there where, uh, it's a guy uh, answering questions. And he said, for the love of God, women do not propose to your men. Just, just let him do it because if you propose to him, he is going to be the laughing stock of his friends for the rest of the union. Though I don't know. I mean, Kristen, when I was reading that article, I, I did think, I, I had to wonder if it was really going to be that rough for a guy whose lady proposed as uh, the writer at the gloss said it would be. I mean, that's obviously something we're going to have to open it up to our listeners and hear their thoughts on it. But I did find one thing at the Daily Mail that made me, that sort of made the case for me about maybe why a woman should wait before popping the question. Okay. Uh, they did this study and found that the average couple gets engaged two years, 11 months, and eight days after first setting eyes on each other. But the women feel ready to tie the knot after just two years, seven months, and 24 days. So women are about four months ahead on average of guys in terms of, of getting engaged or feeling ready to get engaged. Mm-hmm. So I wonder if part of it's just that women feel ready first. And that's why they start feeling, oh, man, I need to pop this question. He's he's dragging his feet. Well, one thing, though, and Molly, in this whole conversation that we haven't brought up um, and that didn't come up in any of the articles that we found about proposals was how does the same dynamic exist in gay couples? Right. It was totally dismissed on on one thing I saw. That's the only mention I saw of it. Yeah. I mean, I wonder if the same kind of thing of like. You know, of, uh, the, the, the kind of lag, the, the engagement lag, if you will, exists, or if it's, or if it's an easier, I don't know, an easier thing to, uh, negotiate. Cause I like to think of engagements really as just business negotiations. Well, it's still, I mean, it depends on, I guess, where you live, if you can even propose at all. Well, sure, but still proposing, you know, a partnership. Hmm. Who, who, who does that? Right. If it's more of the, the modern day teamwork approach that was written about in the Wall Street Journal or if there's a clear, clear person who does it. Yeah. Like, would you like automatically like expect to, you know, pop the question or be the, the, the popper, the popper, if you will. Um, and this isn't just an American thing either. This, you know, cultural tradition of the men proposing to the women. In fact, according to CBS News, there's really only one culture left on the globe where the women do the asking where they get to decide yeah there it seems like there's barely even any courtship but on Arango Island which is an, an African isle uh outside of Guinea um it's women make their proposals by offering their grooms to be a dish of distinctively prepared fish and if the man eats it which is really not a choice because uh, it seems like the men always have to eat it, then, uh, then they're engaged. And they've just, ex- they've explained it in that women are just wiser when it comes to matters of the heart. And so the woman must realize who she's in love with. And that's how you'll know if a partnership will be happy. So here's my advice to any of you listeners out there, you know, who are tired of waiting around for your bow, like Dorothy Dix was talking about in 1904. If you're both mom stuff listeners, okay, maybe you just, Hint at things by uh, by cooking a fish dinner. <laughs> Serve it to him. Look directly in his eyes. See what he thinks. See I if, think. See if he gets it. It needs to be marinated in red palm oil. Did I mention some red that? Red palm oil. <laughs> get a get a big old fish. You're good. 
There you go. Well, I think that, I mean, that's where it really, I think, will probably come down to what kind of couple you are. If you're both uh, enlightened mom stuff listeners, then maybe you'd be more okay with a reversal of traditional gender roles, but maybe you're not. I think that one thing we've learned from you guys is that there are still some things where we we expect the tradition to hold, even though the tradition might just be based on something as silly as, you know, seeing Clark Gable get down on one knee. Sure. I mean... Common, common custom still holds that women still take men's last names. We still wear white down the aisle and have to wait for him to pop the question. And you know, one thing, uh, when I was looking through all those New York Times archives, there was a letter from 1911 and, uh, it was some guy who wrote in. He's like, if the woman's going to propose, then I think she should be the one to support the couple. Because, you know, back then it would have just been probably a woman who didn't have a career. And uh, if she's going to take on this uh, burden of asking for marriage, then she should take on the burden of supporting them financially. And the Wall Street Journal points out that some of these women get married, you know, pop the question. Then they're like, well, where's my ring? You know, ah. it's, it's sort of like we will only do it halfway in terms of all these things we expect from men. If we're to pop the question, I mean, should you get the guy a ring? Mm-hmm. And these are all the perfect questions for our listeners to answer um, write us in, let us know. Guys, if you've been proposed to, girls, if you've done the proposing, anything. We want to hear all of your stories. I know that you have lots to tell us. So send us an email, momstuff at howstuffworks.com. And Molly, let's read a couple of emails we've gotten in. All right, here's an email from Poppy. She writes, just finished listening to your female bartender podcast. I've never been a bartender, but I do work as a hostess in a restaurant, and I definitely do feel like I'm on display. The bartenders in the article you mentioned may not mind, but the attention I often receive from male patrons does get on my nerves. I frequently feel like reminding them that it's not that type of service industry, if you get my drift. I am paid to be friendly and accommodating, but this does not mean that I am willing to give out my number to anyone who asks. I'm sure to some men it's flattering. I think it definitely borders on harassment. For me personally, I wish I would just be allowed to do my job without this even being an issue. All right, well, I've got one here from Donna in response to our episode on whether autism is underdiagnosed in girls. And she wrote, Mostly I found that I was distracted by your use of the term autistic. I would have preferred for you to use person-first language, saying instead a person with autism. At times you did use the person-first language, but it wasn't consistent. Person-first language is considered proper, however. When using person-first language, it's important to remember that the person comes first and is not defined by his or her disability. For example, I would say I teach children who have autism, not I work with autistic children. In the future, please consider using person-first language consistently when referring to an individual or group of individuals with a disability. And I didn't realize that, but um, thank you, Donna, for pointing it out to us. First good. First language. A good tip. And, of course, if you have any tips or feedback for us, you can send it our way at momstuff at howstuffworks.com, or you can share it with all of our listeners on our Facebook fan page. You can also tweet it at momstuffpodcast. And then, finally, you can check out what we're doing during the week on our blog, Stuff Mom Never Told You, which you can find at howstuffworks.com. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit HowStuffWorks.com. Want more HowStuffWorks? Check out our blogs on the HowStuffWorks.com homepage. Brought to you by the reinvented 2012 Camry. It's ready. Are you? Dear Young Rockers Season 2 is a raw, honest, strange, and entertaining story about finding yourself in your early 20s and a lifelong relationship with music. 
It's hosted by me, Chelsea Erson, and is executive produced by Jake Brennan of Disgraceland. Dear Young Rocker comes to you from Double Elvis Productions and iHeartRadio. Listen to Dear Young Rocker on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What if I told you that UFOs, haunted houses, and even inexplicable magic tricks are all caused by the same creature? And what if I told you these powerful and ancient beings are meant to be feared? The Hidden Jinn, a new podcast from iHeartRadio and Aaron Mankey's Grim and Mild, explores the legends of these ancient and terrifying creatures. Join me, Rabia Chaudhary, as we step into the world of The Hidden Jinn. Listen to The Hidden Jinn on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts.